want to thank you just for your, uh, many of you, for your grace, grace that precedes me or grace that precedes you or grace that precedes us. Late on Friday evening, we got a call from Pastor Scott, and he said, uh, we've been praying for, uh, for his family, for his daughter, who's uh, getting ready to have a baby, and he said, the baby came, I, I need you to pray really hard for this baby, and we, we prayed for this baby. Um, and then Saturday morning, we were able to have um, a conversation together, and he said, um, baby made it through the night, but we need to go and be with our family. And we said, yes, you do. Uh, you need to go. And so there we were at the breakfast table. I was in my pajamas, and I had only had about an inch of my coffee. Uh, and I was like, whoop, okay, we're going to have to make a, a big switch. Uh, but we were able to make this big switch. I would invite you uh, to pray for Pastor Scott and Hillary, uh, for their daughter, their son-in-law, um, and their granddaughter, who is improving, uh, but still needs a lot of prayer. So would you carry that uh, with you, and would you participate as a community in that kind of prayer together? And so we did this big switcheroo. Pastor Paul was supposed to preach this sermon this morning, Friday afternoon. He, he headed home, you know, ready, ready to preach this sermon, but we needed someone to lead worship, and trust me, you don't want me to uh, be leading worship. Um, and so I, I, it would be two songs. Uh, it would be, um, there is a redeemer. I can do that on the piano and chariots of fire. Uh, so we would just be singing those two songs over and over and over again. Um, I'm pretty sure the team would have intervened, but anyways, you should be very glad that Pastor Paul uh, led worship. And I was able to uh, quickly gather the thoughts of the spirit um, and put them together in something like this. Uh, so I want to honor, first of all, this is Pastor Paul's sermon that he downloaded to me via a conversation I was writing down furiously. Um, so any good ideas are his and any bad ideas are mine. And so you can thank him for those. But I also want to honor one other pastor um, who I uh, learned from this last January at our pastor's conference, um, and her name is uh, Danielle Strickland. She preaches a sermon on Acts chapter 27, and it, uh, it in a lot of ways changed my life. Uh, and so her influence, her pastoral leadership, um, her her profession of the good news of the gospel has certainly inspired uh, this time and this moment. So I want to give credit where credit is due, but I also want to be certain to let you know that I am, I am sure that the words um, this, this morning are, are the words of the Holy Spirit. Not because I've done any work with them or I've mastered them, but, but I'm certain that the Spirit has something to say. And so let's be sure that the Spirit has something to say in the midst of all of these change of plans. I think it's funny that, that we've had to do a lot of change of plans because I think it was like a month ago I talked about change and how change is really hard. And here we are uh, at the very end of our whole series in Acts. We've been hanging out in Acts for three months. And here we are having to change plans. And here we are in a text that's all about the change of plans. And not just like oh, we had to adjust some things. It's like the complete shattering of all the plans that ever were a plan. Every single plan uh, that happens in these next chapters is ruined. 
Nothing goes the way it's supposed to go by human standards, and yet none of this is surprising to the Spirit of God. We pray in the back, and I said, uh, guys, it's, a, it's kind of a change in plans kind of morning. And Chris, can I pick on you for a second? Uh, Chris says, you know what, I'm going to say it wrong, but um, change of plans in God language is just plans. And I was like, yeah, okay, thanks. Yes, it's exactly true. Change of plans in God language is plans. And here we're going to see it at the very end of Acts. So we have been kind of trudging, not trudging, joyfully leaping along uh, in the book of Acts. And we um, left off at Acts chapter 20. And you might be thinking, well, Britta, there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. How are you going to cover seven chapters, 21 through 28, in one sermon? Well, you'll thank Pastor Paul for all of this. These are literally his words that are just coming out of my mouth. So we are going to summarize Acts 21 through 26 super fast. I would invite you to take a Bible out. Uh, It's a great way to follow along with me because we're just going to fly. We're going to fly over uh, a lot of what happens in the book of Acts. Starting, I should probably get there too. That way we can all enjoy it together. This is um, Acts starting in chapter 21. You may remember that Paul was in Ephesus. He was in Corinth. He was participating in these missionary journeys, or we call uh, not just Paul's missionary journeys, but the Holy Spirit's missionary journeys, and that the Holy Spirit really invited Paul to go to the places that Paul was supposed to go. And so um, after he spends some time in Ephesus, he uh, heads on to Jerusalem. Paul goes to Jerusalem, and he's arrested in Jerusalem, and then he's br- brought before the Sanhedrin, which is like the, the elite religious uh, rulers. So there he is in Jerusalem. He's in the Jewish capital, and he's speaking to the Jews that are the elitist. Is that a word? Go with me. I had 24 hours, okay? Uh, the most elite uh, of, of the Jewish people. And then uh, moving really quickly uh, to chapter 23, Jesus says in 23.11, I got there quick because I had it underlined. Jesus says, in the middle of the night, take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And so, uh, Paul is transferred, but uh, just a reminder, he's been arrested. He's transferred, not because he wants to. It's not the spirit transferred him, but it's because he's a prisoner, but the spirit's still there. Uh, 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 Paul is then transferred um, to Caesarea, and in chapters 23 through 26, we have Paul in Caesarea. He stayed there two years, and he uh, endured a rigmarole of trials. You can see all these trial before Felix, trial before Festivus, uh, consulting with King Agrippa. Okay, he's just brought before a bunch of people, and Paul is trying to make a case, or his case is being made for him. Uh, and so he's, he's stuck. And for two years, there's just this constant rigmarole of trial. And will there be punishment? And a, a huge waiting game. Well, while he is in Caesarea, he writes letters to all the churches that he visited. And this is where we get a huge chunk of the New Testament beyond Acts. It's a beautiful thing. So now we have uh, chapter 27. 
Paul sets sail for Rome. And he is uh, sent to Rome because he is now going to appeal his case to Caesar. But this is all a guise, all right? A Trojan horse. It's really a means uh, to get him to the capital of Rome because Paul really wants to preach the good news of Jesus to Caesar. So he intends to go to the capital of the Roman Empire, and his hope, Paul's hope, is to change the world through this interaction. If I can just get the king of the known empire, uh, the most reigning empire, to convert to Jesus, what a life. What a true life. I want us to remember that through all of these things, these rigmaroles, through the whole book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit is the main character. Holy Spirit is the main character. Certainly Paul was, a, was an influential character. And Peter and all the disciples. Also, you know, Jesus. Uh, th there's so many characters involved in the book of Acts. But the Spirit of God is the main character. And we see this, the arc of the story in the book of Acts. From the beginning until the end, there is something consistent that is happening with the Spirit of God. You might remember way back in Acts chapter 1, that's the very first chapter of Acts, in verse 8, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and in Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And Jesus says, you will do this because the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It's not as though you humans are the most fantastic things that ever happened. And you have all these great ideas, but no, the Spirit of God will be with you and you will do it. And Paul was just one of many, many people that participated in this call, this charge from Jesus to bring things not just from the epicenter of, of, of the religious world, but to go to the ends of the earth. Paul has witnessed in Jerusalem. We see that in in uh, chapter 21, and then he moved beyond Judea and Samaria, all of his missionary travels all over that area, and now we find himself at the ends of the earth. You see, Rome was conquering the known world. Rome was edging the ends of the earth out, and Roman rule was actually defining the edges of the, the earth at the time, and so Paul must go to the epicenter of that empire so that he might perceive what the ends of the earth are. And this is all because the Spirit of God is leading him. <coughs> so this is where we pick up Paul in Acts chapter 27. Uh, this is Paul's final journey that is propelled by the gospel. And he goes with the intention... He goes to Rome with the intention of subverting power in Rome. He's going uh, to invite the good news of the gospel to change everyone, especially Roman leaders. This is a very, very wide vision. And let's be clear, it is also a political vision. And it is an expansive and unimaginable vision. And yet, Jesus gives it to him. You saw those words in red. Now you must go and testify to Rome. And so Paul goes. He goes where the Spirit of God is leading him. <coughs> Excuse me. I want us to also remember that Paul is
is a prisoner right now. In chapter 27, Paul is a prisoner on a boat. He doesn't get on to the boat because uh, he thinks it's a good idea or because it's setting him in the right direction. No, he is shackled and chained, uh, and people are responsible for him, and he's just a prisoner being moved from one place to the other. He has a, a greater vision. Spirit has a greater vision, uh, but he is still a prisoner. And so there he is uh, on this ship with other prisoners, with their captors, with guards, with law enforcement. And then there's also the, the, the ship's crew, uh, captain and crew. All right, we have this great diverse group of people all stuck on one boat together. I've never taken a cruise, uh, but I can imagine that the diversity of people on a cruise, it, it gets a little like, whoa, these are close quarters, okay? Uh, but imagine also that the, the power dynamics involved on this ship, prisoners and captors, and, and then the people who are just supposed to take care of the ship along the way. They're all stuck in exactly the same situation, this di diverse group of people. And we read uh, in 27, starting in verse 13, that a storm begins to brew. And this storm is not just like a... No, it's not just like a cute little, oh, it just moved the boat a little off course. Uh, this is a storm that swirls the whole sea and creates the spinning movement for a boat. It, it, it cannot find its way through, in, or out of where it is. No one can, uh, is, is spared from the effects of the storm. No one can outdo the storm. And so here we are, uh, chapter 27, starting, uh, we're going to summarize starting in verse 16. They are in this storm, and, and it's hitting the boat, and it's a lot. And so the, they take some steps to, in order to preserve what they have, all these people together. First, they, they hoist the lifeboat onto the ship. This lifeboat is the only means of survival if the ship falls apart. Okay, so they cannot lose it. So they bring it onto the ship. And then they recognize the ship is starting to splinter. It's starting to fall apart. So they tie ropes around the boat to keep it intact. That's day one. Day two, they start to throw their cargo overboard. It was common that, you know, if ship was making its passage, you would put cargo on the ship uh, uh, because it's a smart idea to bring things from one place to the other while you're bringing people from one place to the other. Well, this cargo was extra. It was excess. And so they throw the, car, the cargo overboard. There are times in a, a storm that our excess does not serve us, but it actually puts us in danger. And so they throw the excess overboard. Day three, it says they, they throw their tackle overboard. And this was the means of providing for their future. This is how they would fish and get food along the way of the journey. There are times when even our future provisions in the storm are not enough to last through the storm. And so these band of diverse people have taken up uh, the thing that could have saved them. They have thrown away their excess. They have thrown away the ways of providing for themselves in the future. And it says then that they gave up all hope of being saved. They believed that their destruction was imminent. 
this is the condition that these people, these diverse, this diverse group of people are in. And then it says in verse 22, Acts 27, verse 22, Paul says to the people, we're all gathered around there, they're freaking out, okay, as they should. You should freak out at a time like this. Paul says, God isn't going to save the ship. He is saving the people. If you have your own Bible, I would invite you to underline that. God isn't going to save the ship. He's going to save the people. You see, Paul receives a vision. It says that the angel of God came up close to him. He experiences this presence. And this presence says this in verse 23, or, or Paul says this about the presence, the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. Again, if you have your own Bible, I would invite you to underline, I belong and beside me. The God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. This is in the middle of a storm. It's still going, okay? And then in verse 24, it says, God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with, with you. God's not going to save the ship. God's going to save the people. And Paul, your job is not to keep the ship intact. It's to be with the people. God never says, I'll save the ship. God never says, I'll keep this structure intact. I'll preserve these things that have been built by human hands. I'll support the plans you have for the people. No. God is interested in the people. All the people. Sometimes we get caught up in the idea that we have to save the ship, whatever that ship may be. But if the ship is no longer serving the people, it may be time to relinquish our hold on the well-being of the ship and transfer our hold to the well-being of the people. I wonder what ships we are holding on to, tying our boats around, releasing some cargo pieces so that the ship might stay intact without ever wondering how the people are doing. Having received this vision from God, Paul begins ministering to the people that are on the ship. The people that God graciously gave him. Huh. As we continue, uh, in, uh, going to verse 27. After uh, 14 days of this storm, that's two weeks, by the way. This is not just like a few seconds, Okay. 14 days of the storm, those, uh, all those on the ship, they have nothing. They have run out. They let go of all of their food days ago, days and days ago. They haven't eaten for a long time. They let, all, let go of all the things that could catch them food days ago. They have not eaten. You see, it says that they're surviving on, on adrenaline and their survival instincts. Have you ever seen that, that show, Naked and Afraid? Okay, this is what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking that this, I've never seen it. I had a friend who, who told me about it. I was like, I don't need to see that. I don't need to like be, be like freaking out all the time for this person. But I hear it's a lot like this, okay? 
they are surviving on their adrenaline, their survival instincts. They're just doing what they can to make it the next way. And so uh, <clears throat> we see them trying to survive. Okay, verse uh, 30 and 31. Some of the guys on there, they, they secretly lowered the lifeboat. They're like, maybe we'll see. Remember, they pulled it on. They're like, if we can sneak it down, then we can get off of this thing and try and live. And Paul says, you are dumb. Uh, you can't, you're not going to be able to do it. This little lifeboat is not going to save you. Cut it loose. They listen to him. This is a miracle in and of itself. We could preach a whole sermon on that one. That's a miracle. They cut it lo loose. They let go of the thing, the, their kind of last ditch effort, the last thing that is going to keep them alive. You see, sometimes even our backup plans will fail to save us. And then this is what happens. I want us uh, to read this carefully and slowly together, not jump through it. Uh, Acts chapter 27, starting in verse 33 and going through 44. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. He said, for the last 14 days, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you, to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of all of them. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food for themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken into pieces by the pounding surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard and get to land. And the rest were there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. And I underlined this next sentence. In this way, everyone reached land safely. This is crazy, God. These men... 276 of them went 14 days without food or sustenance. And so Paul gathers this diverse group of people that does not belong together. They did not belong together before. And he urges them to do one thing to eat. I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair on your head. And then that evening, it says he took bread, gave thanks to God, in front of them, and he broke it and began to eat. Does this sound familiar? See, in the midst of the most violent storm of their lives, of, of Paul's life, 
One of the most violent storms we have recorded in scripture, Paul offers the group communion. They're starving, literally. All their emotion, uh, emotional reserves have been used up. Their survival instincts are frayed, and they cannot hold on much longer. They know this. Either they're going to die by drowning, or they're going to die by starvation. So Paul gathers up this new congregation, these people that God graciously gave him, and he gives them what they need. He reminds them that... Of uh, 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 the things that will sustain them. He calls them back to the things that will give them life. Literally bread, yes, but also the presence of God's self. And then while they're eating, he gives them this future hope. And it's a hope beyond reason. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your heads. Does he know that there's like wind and waves? Not one of you will lose a single hair on your head. The regularity of receiving communion, what we do here every week, reminds us about our life. You see, Jesus instituted the sacrament of communion to remind his disciples about their life. He instituted communion to remind us about our life. Because our life is precious, even the single hairs on our head. And it's not just our individual life, it's also our communal life together. He didn't single out one of those 276 and said, your life really is important. No, he said, you all, your life matters. Our life together matters. We need one another. You see, sacraments bind our life to the life of Christ. And never do we need it more than when we are in a storm. That regular pattern of receiving these gifts from God. Verse 38 says that after everyone eats their fill, they toss the excess overboard again. And they throw the grain into the sea. They've received exactly what they needed, daily bread, if you will. And then anything extra they sent into the sea. After this communion meal, they see land. This is very exciting after being uh, stuck in a storm uh, for two weeks. So they spot land, but there is no way to get to the land with the ship intact. So they do what they can. They disassemble the ship. It says in verse 40, they cut the anchors and they lose the rudder. And so everything that was maintaining their direction and their control uh, of the situation, they let loose. They have now released everything. Their structure, their vehicle, their future. They are literally giving everything up to God. Hopefully this works. They hope to make it to land, but there is no promising it. They land on a, on a sandbar not the beach, meaning uh, that, that in order to survive, they need to get into the water and they have to swim for their lives. First, they're invited to receive broken bread for sustenance. They come to the table and then they are invited into the waters for their salvation. Verse 43, wanting to save Paul's life, the centurion said, jump in and swim for it. Those of you who can't swim, find a scrap of something left over from the ship, anything you can find, 
and get yourselves to shore. You see, the plan on this ship was to avoid the water. It was to uh, use the intact structure of the boat to get them to the, wa- uh, to, the, to the shore. But again, God intended to save the people, not the boat. What a miracle even that God would use the broken pieces of the boat to bring people back to life. The shards of what was in order to preserve the people. This may be true for many of us who have navigated the broken boats of our own lives. The devastated dreams or plans we have, the shards of family or friendship that we have left, even the remnants of church that used to be held together by certain things are now broken apart. But these two may be gifts for us, gifts that bring us to the waters of baptism, gifts that bring us into a binding relationship with Christ. You see, the waters of baptism remind us that God is the one who does the saving. God is the one who does the saving. We have affirmed this uh, just a couple weeks ago when we invited our friends into the waters of baptism. God is the one who does the saving. We relinquish ourselves to the saving of God, and we cling to Jesus. All those who were shipwrecked did just that. They clung to Jesus, maybe clung uh, to parts of this wrecked boat, and everyone, it says, reached land safely. What a miracle. So Paul and the rest of the crew, they arrive on this island that they learn is called the island of Malta. And you may uh, be realizing that Paul ends up on the island with nothing. Nothing to his name. Nothing but the clothing on his back. But certainly with the good news of his, the gospel in his whole being. Paul arrives with nothing but the good news of the gospel, nothing more and nothing less than that. And there are times when we show up to the places that God calls us with nothing or what feels like nothing. Perhaps it's uh, in your family, in your workplace, in a conflict in a neighbor's need or or a health crisis. You may find yourself stuck on the shore of a situation wondering how in the world it is going to work because you have nothing. The previous storms of life perhaps took it out of you. Or maybe it's the current storm that uh, that took everything from you. You have no ship, you have nothing. You were already clinging to just the scraps of your former life and now you show up to this situation. I remember uh, the few months before we actually uh, arrived at Newport in March of 2021, I felt a little bit like this. I don't want to exaggerate the situation. Uh, it wasn't as though our whole, the whole ship of our life had fallen apart. Uh, but I do remember realizing, man, I don't have much. I don't feel like I have much to offer. Spiritually, I was pretty dry. We had been through a number of storms um, uh, professionally, personally, kind of took it out of me. I mean, I trusted that God was there, but I was kind of like, well, what are you doing? 
And then this church, this congregation, January of 2021, votes on this. Says, sure, come and lead us. I'm like, ah. And I remember the few nights before our first day being like, I think they made a mistake. I don't know if they knew what they were doing. Maybe, maybe they should change their mind. So I think I should call somebody and tell them they didn't, they didn't, I don't have, I don't have much left. I don't, I don't have anything to offer. And I, uh, in that time, those few days before uh, we had our very first day here, uh, we had a very an important pastor friend in our life who gave us just a, a really simple words of encouragement. He said, just be exactly who God called you to be. Nothing more, nothing less. Okay, anything else? <laughs> Any other words of encouragement? I didn't know the depths of those words for me. Just be exactly who God called you to be. Nothing more, nothing less. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. One, that we've made it this far, you guys. Good job. <laughs> uh, not, not that we've made it, but that you have made it. Uh, I'm surprised by what God has done every single time God shows up in this congregation. I'm surprised that I don't need anything Nothing more and nothing less. I just need the good news of Jesus if for myself and, and for you. God has done the rest. Nothing more, nothing less. Paul shows up on Malta being exactly who God called him to be. Nothing more, nothing less, literally. I want us to go back now to Paul's words uh, in, in chapter 27, verse 23. He said to the whole ship there, the God to whom I belong to and serve stood beside me. If the Holy Spirit is the main character of Acts, we see uh, what Paul professes about the Holy Spirit here at the end of the book. It's belonging and it's presence. The good news of the gospel of Jesus as it extends out through all of Acts is that all belong and that God is near. Belonging and presence is all we need, nothing more and nothing less. Belonging and presence changes the way we see ourselves and our neighbors and the world. Belonging and presence are proclaimed at the table and through baptism. Belonging and presence are proclaimed here on Sunday mornings and also everywhere else we go. Belonging and presence is the good news that we walk out with and that we live in the world, that we profess with our mouth, but also with our lives. You belong, and I'm with you. You belong, and I am with you. You belong, and I am with you. The good news that we have explored throughout Acts is that it's nothing more and nothing, nothing less than the presence of God and the belonging that we each have. And it is my prayer that as we close this chapter of Acts and this time together, that we wouldn't forget it and that it would actually take root in our lives, that we might walk around with it, that we might actually tell other people about it, even when it doesn't make sense, that people would be surprised by the words coming out of our mouth, that perhaps they notice, oh, you don't have much, but you do have something. You do have something. 
may we be committed to this work, committed to the work of believing our belonging, believing the presence of God next to us, and will we long for nothing more or nothing less? Would you pray with me? God, remind us who we belong to. We give you thanks for uniting us by baptism in the body of Christ and for filling us with joy in the sharing of communion, even in the midst of storms. And so lead us toward the full, visible unity of your church and give us and help us to treasure all the signs of reconciliation that you have given us and that you continue to call us to. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom we belong.